Warning. This podcast contains true stories that are not intended for those missing a sense of humor. Any resemblance to actual events or allegations are purely coincidental. Before listening, please relieve yourself as possible adverse effects include spontaneous bladder leakage, mild hysteria, and sudden release of dopamine. Names have been changed to protect the innocent and guilty. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty. Karen. Welcome to Coding Consultant Confessions with Tony Elhos, Stacy Buck, and Victoria Mole. Unfiltered, unedited, unapologetic. In this podcast, Tony, Stacy, and Victoria come together to share unique perspectives, engaging dialogue, entertaining commentary, and funny stories for those working in the healthcare industry. And now, here are your hosts, Tony, Stacy, and Victoria. to another episode of Coding Consultant Confessions. Our topic today is high heels and heavy deals, negotiating tactics for women. And I have to give Victoria all the credit for coming up with the title of this episode. I love it. It is so catchy. And I told the ladies, I absolutely want to host this episode because we have something related to shoes in the title. And those who know me know that I am absolutely shoe obsessed. I have a shoe collection of about around 150 pairs. I kind of lost count, but 150 pairs of shoes and boots. And so it is my obsession. And I actually wanted to share with you today. I wish I had a shoe cam, but I don't. I'm not that fancy. I wanted to show off some of my favorite pairs of shoes from my collection to do something that's fun. So this pair, Tony actually recently got to see on me when we met for dinner, when I was in Orlando. And Tony, do you want to share what you referred to these as when you saw them on me? They did not disappoint. Um, they are your hooker heels for sure. Yeah. <laughs> he said, look at you and your hooker heels. That's what my friend said about me. So this was the one pair that I wore at dinner the one night. <laughs> it, was, then, it was all, it was all in love. Well, Don't worry. <laughs> these are the ones. Okay. I wore these to dinner the following night, actually wore these to the board meeting that I went to that Friday as well. These are the ones that I refer to as my stripper heels whenever I talk about my stripper heels. So I have the big platforms. And then another pair that I love, these kind of remind me of like a disco ball kind of look with the mirrors like on the sides. And so I really like wearing these. I wear them a lot. And then I have to show you these. I haven't worn them yet, but I'm like, I'm going to wear them this year at the FHIMA conference. These are my money boots. These are bling oh. boots with the Benjamins on them, baby. It's all yeah. about the Benjamins. I love so it. I'm going to rock these things in July for sure. <laughs> so those are just a few from my collection. As I said, it's pretty extensive. Now, if I had a Kardashian closet, I would like take the camera and like take you on a tour. But my closet is so ridiculously small and I have shoes stacked upon shoes, stacked upon shoes, and it just wouldn't work. I need to move 
just to house my shoe collection. I have to do that. So anyway, okay, so now let's get back to our topic for today, negotiating. All ladies, you need to learn how to negotiate so you can have a fabulous shoe collection too. That's one of my main motivators <laughs> to build my shoe collection. So there seems to be a lot of discussion these days about the pay gap between men and women. That's talked about a lot on LinkedIn, other social media platforms. And some people think that this is attributable to the fact that women are not as good at negotiating as men. And I do think that there's some truth to that. And I think it's part of it. I don't think it's the only reason why we see that gap. But negotiating is very important, not just in our careers, but also in our daily lives. How many of you have women have gone to buy a car and you're negotiating on a vehicle? I have done that so many times and it is an absolutely awful experience. And when you go to do this, have you ever seen a female salesperson? I've never seen a female salesperson in a car dealership. It's all men. And already when you're walking in, you're at that slight disadvantage because men are perceiving you differently and viewing you different as a man. Now we can argue whether or not they should do that, but the fact is that absolutely happens. And so we need to learn how to negotiate in situations like that. And then also in our careers to help advance. So if you've ever found yourself struggling with negotiations, this episode is absolutely for you. Before we wrap up today, all three of us are going to give you our top tips for successful negotiations. So Tony, I'm going to start out with asking you, where and why do you think women fall short in negotiations? Um, I would like you to put the shoes back because I just think they look so cool behind you. <laughs> You want them in the background? Oh, I'm gonna knock them out. I'm just saying. I just thought that was so cool. I set them um, back up. So I, I'll put two of them behind me. There we go. Yes, love it. Perfect. <laughs> the hooker heels, according to Tony. <laughs> so I saw Stacy a couple weeks ago, um, and she was rocking those those heels, and she looked amazing in them. So. She loves her shoes. I was I was thinking of that um, Carrie brought uh, Carrie Bradshaw scene in Sex in the City where he builds the big shoe closet after he you know stands her up at the wedding and it was just like such that's a that's my dream like a dream closet <laughs> yes although I will say I don't spend as much as Carrie Bradshaw did on shoes I have a limit I tap out at about one hundred and fifty dollars for pair of shoes. And even at that, most of the time, I don't pay that. I am really good at getting sales and deals on my shoes. I rarely pay full price. I will put that out there. I don't pay four or $500 for a pair of shoes. That is insane. Anyway, off topic. Let's get back. I can talk about shoes for an hour. So I know. Well, it is on topic because the title is High Heels and Heavy Deals. Although I would say you don't have to wear high heels to be an effective negotiator. <laughs> I used to wear um, heels back in the day. depends on what you're negotiating, whether or not the high heels help. I'm just saying. <laughs> oh, man. I used to wear high heels. Not that high. Not Stacy high. But um, back pain and just chronic neck and back issues, I think. It's just it's too painful. Um, so as far as negotiating, I think... Society has unfortunately devalued women's work and women's worth. And I say this from the perspective of I've been an employee, I've been 
um, a manager, I've been a director, I've worked in lots of different settings as a business owner. And so I've seen how women are treated kind of from all vantage points. And um, I, I kind of joke about this a lot, but especially as a working mom, as a working entrepreneur, women are expected to parent like they don't have a job and they are expected to work like they don't have kids. And so being a female and then also being a, a mother is, is it puts you at a disadvantage just kind of coming in because society has devalued women in the workplace historically um, where we see wage disparities, where we see um, women being passed up for promotions that they're absolutely qualified to do. Um, and then, you know, a perfect example is when, when I take care of my kids, people say, oh yeah, you know, you're a mom, you're supposed to do it all. And when my husband does the exact same thing, he's praised and it's glorified and it's like, oh, wow, look at him. He's such a good dad and look at him babysitting so that mom can have some time off. And it's like, no, <laughs> he's, you know, their dad, he's their parent too. There's, you know, watching the... your own kids is not babysitting. <laughs> <laughs> but it, that's how society has, you know, kind of viewed women. And so just with that lens coming into negotiations, you're already kind of up against that dynamic. Um, and, and in business, you know, obviously things have changed and there's a lot more females in the workplace. There's a lot more females in certain um, industries. But for example, uh, physician females, there's hardly any physicians in a lot of these specialties. You see them in pediatrics, you see them in primary care, but you don't see many female neurosurgeons. You don't see many female orthopedic surgeons. And so there's just all of these dynamics that you kind of have to think about um, generations in the workplace that have influenced a lot of how society views women. So a lot of times people will talk about negotiation in the context of negotiating salary. Um, and there's, you know, that's probably the most applicable topic in, in our setting and, and with our audiences. But I always like to tell people everything in life is negotiable except my, uh, my consulting rates and the terms of my contracts. <laughs> Those things are not negotiable, uh, but almost everything in life is negotiable. So you have but, to- But that is, your pre-established actually is pre-negotiation, your pre-established rates. So there is, there is some mental negotiation that goes into setting rates. So that's part of it, knowing your worth, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, you know, just kind of thinking about those things and, and knowing that that offer that you're getting is not always the best and final number. Um, coming into a negotiation with too many emotions with too many attachments to certain things, I think puts you at a disadvantage. Um, if you are negotiating with a male, you really have to come to the table and match their energy. You have to be confident. You cannot come across as a wallflower. You cannot um, come across like you are timid and um, not really um, I see a lot of people when they're nervous, they don't want to take up space. And so they'll kind of like, you know, crouch together and, and they don't want to show that like they 
command their space. And that's really important when you're negotiating with somebody, you've got to kind of level up with them. So women, a lot of times fall short because they're not approaching it in the right way. It's all in the approach. It's so, so very, very important. Um, so I've seen it in, in the context of uh, myself. I have been um, an underpaid employee because I didn't know any better. I've been in, in situations where I'm negotiating for a raise and I'm already doing all of the work. I'm doing the work of three people. I'm already the manager of the department. I'm already doing business development. I'm already doing all of these things, but I'm not getting paid for them. And so, you know, coming into those negotiations was always a struggle because I had to kind of catch up to the things that I was already doing. And so the strategy changes depending on where you're coming from. Um, as a hiring manager, when people would come in and, and they would say, I, I don't know what to ask for as far as a salary, you know, I would, um, I would kind of go off course and I would give them a little bit of uh, on on the fly advice and say, no, you've got to know your worth, you know, research the market and, and come in with a number. And if that number is too high, they're going to tell you if the number is too low, you can never really come back from that. You're always going to to try to make up for the difference of, of undercutting yourself. Now, with with all of that said, if you're somebody that's green and it is fresh and is just coming into the industry, you can't come out of the gate with, hey, I want to make eighty five thousand dollars and, you know, expect that because that's not a realistic approach. I have, have a lot of people that come to me and ask for a job and they say, oh, well, you know, I've got a master's degree and I'm a, a registered nurse and I've got all of these credentials. I've had attorneys come to me and say, hey, I want another career and they're flabbergasted when I tell them this is how much you're going to start at because you're in training. I'm not going to pay somebody that I have to train for, you know, 12 months and, and invest all of this and pay you, you know, this really high salary because it just doesn't make a lot of sense. So that that's just some context for where and why I think women fall short in negotiations. And, um, you know, it's something that we all constantly struggle with and, and have to work on. Yeah, definitely. I have to take myself off mute because as I told you, ladies, the lawn guy is behind me. <laughs> so I had to come up mute before I spoke. So if I start talking and you don't hear me, it's because I've to take myself off mute. No, I think that you make some very valid points. There's, a, I, as I said in the introduction, I think there's a lot of different factors that play into, you know, why we see a pay gap and then also why there are differences in negotiation. So Victoria, you know, what do you think about that? You know, why do you think, you know, men are better negotiators or, you know, or, you know, why, why is it that women seem to have a hard time negotiating compared to men? Yeah, I think it's because overall we, we tend to more devalue ourselves. We don't want to be seen as being like so aggressive. And I've suffered through some instances, even myself where, uh, for example, I've had, um, a, a time in my early in my career where I was taking on all of these extra projects and I was doing really great jobs at all these different projects and I wanted to move up. There weren't positions available. I went to my boss who was new at the time and I said, Hey, you know, I'm basically doing double work. Like, why don't I get like a, a big pay increase? And she went to her director and they like completely shot me down. They're like, well, if you think you're going to get paid more for doing all these projects, we'll just take you off the projects and put you back in your place. Um, 
so that's, that's always stuck with me. And I've struggled a lot with negotiations. And I think there are things that are uh, definitely gender specific. And I think there's just some things that we've made practice in the industry for years and are just crappy things that that the industry has done. Um, and not just our industry, all industries. I will never forget one of the people I hired as a coding specialist. Um, I hired her at, she was, she was fairly green. She was coming in for an advanced role, but she'd never done auditing before. Um, she had some good experience though. So we brought her in basically to match where the lowest person on in my team was to match salaries. And that lowest person was actually about to get a raise. So she was going to be like the lowest paid person on my team. And my boss came and asked me, she said, Hey, did you ask, um, what she was making at her old job? And I'm like, well, no, cause I'm going to compensate her for what she's doing at this job. I'm not going to pay her based off of what her previous job was paying. And I got grilled. She was livid because I didn't ask HR to find out what she was paid at her previous job so that we could have possibly offered her less, less. I'm like wow. flabbergasted at that. You know, I, I like what you kind of said though, Tony, about kind of considering where you're at. And that's one thing that I get a lot from comments on my channel. I have a lot of people that are like, Hey, Victoria, I'm a nurse. I'm an RN. I don't want to do patient care anymore. I want to get into medical coding. Um, but how much am I going to make as a nurse in medical coding? And I'm like, well, you're not going to make any more than anyone else starting in medical coding. You're going to make the salary for the skills that you're doing. The fact that you have a nursing degree, that you're an RN probably isn't going to make much of a difference. You know, a, an employer is gonna, if it's an entry level coding position, they're gonna pay you the entry level coding position pay. You know, the fact that you have, have a nursing degree might be helpful in the future. It will definitely be great if you wanna get into like CDI or something, but you know, starting out, you, you're probably gonna have to take that hit. Um, I've taken hits in the past too. When I started out teaching, I started out at a very low rate because I knew that if I, if I um, offered them a lower, rate, they were more likely to hire me. And I really needed that experience. Like I really wanted to have that teaching experience. So that was a hit I was willing to take. But I, I've heard a lot that um, one of the tactics people will say is, oh, well, you know, with women, we tend to devalue ourselves. So whatever you were thinking, you're like your first thought, double that. And, what, and that's where you should have your negotiation start at say, oh, well, you know, if I was gonna start at, you know, $15 an hour say, well, I want 30, you know, and, and in some cases that does fit, not always. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's hard because especially I think in our industry, you know, it, finding that first job is tough. You know, you we often have, um, like Tony said, mothers that are looking for, for a job to feed their kids and they, they're desperate for that job, but they're also like, oh, I don't want to go so high that they're going to go, oh, well, I don't, I don't want to hire that person because she's so ridiculous. She thinks she's going to get, you know, $22 an hour or something starting off. So it's, it's finding those balances. And I think finding sometimes that delicate walk that you have to take with, how you word certain conversations, like when they say like, what are your salary expectations and not just giving them 
a dollar number or saying something more like, oh, well, you know, what is your budget for this certain position? Or what is the salary ranges that you typically offer for these positions? I don't know if either of you have kind of seen this, this one TikToker that went viral because there was someone who was in human resources and um, they said, oh, well, this lady took this job, but ha, ha, ha. Uh, if she'd have asked for more, I'd have given it to her because my my budget for this was, you know, thirty or forty thousand dollars more. So always ask for more, ladies. And she got in a lot of hot water. There was a lot of heat that came back about that because uh, they they had the budget for it. And she's like, oh well, you know, I don't have time. I don't have the bandwidth to train these people to to negotiate better. And you know, yeah, I mean, we as women don't want to don't want to lose out on anything, but it's, it's a tough, it's a tough balance. Yeah. I think, you know, obviously there are distinct differences between men and women, I think, and how they approach things. And a lot of it goes back to when you're younger and how you're raised, how you raise and condition a boy versus how you raise and condition a girl. And I actually had listened to a webinar many years ago about negotiating tactics for women and I'm like, I don't really think I need this, but I'm going to listen to it just because I learned negotiation by trial and error. I did. I, you know, got underpaid, you know, for a while in the beginning of my career. And then you kind of learn. But I remember listening to this woman doing this presentation. And so she was talking about how little girls are raised, how they're conditioned, what they're exposed to, how they're taught to act, what's appropriate social behavior, you know, for girls. And then with boys, how they are you know, raised and how they're treated and, and how they're trained to approach things. And so if you like little like boys, you see like boys like want to be competitive and they want to brag to their friends about like what they're doing and their accomplishments and make themselves like puff themselves up. Like when you see little boys like doing that. And so when men get older, they're really the same <laughs> when they're older. They're just doing it in different ways. Like what I've always found interesting in the workplace is that a lot of times the women can like run circles around the men and they're way overqualified for what they're doing. They're much better qualified than the men, but the men have this bravado about them and this confidence about them that they project even when they don't measure up. There's like this disconnect with them where they have the ability, you know, people talk about fake it till you make it. Men, I think sometimes have a higher view of themselves than what actually is reality when I've seen it in business and they utilize that it's a good skill to have in business um, because of that because you need to project that confidence you need to come across that hey i'm worth it and this is why i'm worth it and they have the ability to talk their way through that but going back to the webinar that i listened to all those years ago what i found interesting was when she was talking about how little girls are raised and how little boys are raised and then how when they're adults how it affects them in the workplace and in negotiations when she was walking through the stereotypical female i i was thinking what is she talking about i don't relate to this at all like at all then she started talking about the stereotypical male in business and i'm like this is me to a t i'm like i think like a man you know in business i go i don't relate to anything she said like about the women but it wasn't always that way. It's like when you start out, there is that timidity when you're newer in your career and you will get taken advantage of in your career. It's going to happen. It's happened to all of us. And, you know, early on, 
you know, when they would say, well, what's your absolute bottom line? What's like the least? Well, like an idiot, I would tell them what my absolute bottom line was, what the true number was. So what are you going to get? You're going to get that. Um, you know, and again, Victoria, you know, made a good point that employers have a certain budget for a position and, but, but they like to play that numbers game. They want to come in under budget if they can. They generally don't want to offer the money based on budget. They want to see what you are making. And then if they can, you know, give you an increase over what you're making, they're acting like they're doing you a favor. When in reality, they could be paying you four or five dollars more per hour based on their budget. And so they've gotten this great deal. They're under budget. And guess what? Managers and directors get bonuses when they're under budget a lot of times on different things. So they can end up making more money when they come in, um, you know, under budget. So it's really a lot of that is doing research, market research and trying to gain as much money as you can, um, you know, about salaries that are out there and then knowing your worth. And I always tell people, don't be afraid to ask for more. The worst they're going to do is tell you no. Um, but again, you know, when we get into our tips, I can talk about it more, but I think that's about reading the person, reading, knowing how to read the room. Um, and, and knowing if it's, if it's been proven in the interview process that you bring value to them and you've demonstrated that effectively, then you have the ability to ask for more. And then in some situations, like when I used to interview a lot, you just, you just felt the vibe. You're like, this isn't really going to work if I put this demand out there. Um, and then in that case, you're probably already feeling it's not the job for you anyway. Um, but in those situations where you have a good vibe in the interview, then it tends to make you, you know, ask for a little, a little bit more, but I could go on and on and on about the differences <laughs> between like men and women. Um, but now I now so both of you are mothers and, you know, you say that's a factor. Now I can tell you, I've never been married. I don't have kids. And when I was younger, I used to resent the fact that parents seem to get special treatment and then the single people had to pick up the slack and that I was not a fan of. I'm like, why am I penalized? Because I don't have children. So there was that aspect of it. Now that I'm older, you know, and I've seen more and I know more people and I understand what's involved in parenting. I'm like, I kind of get it. I don't feel the same way that I did. Um, you know, and then in those cases, well, why aren't people picking up more of the load, making, you know, more money? So there was that, you know, argument, um, you know, as well in those situations. So depending upon your life and what your circumstances are, we all are looking at it through our lens. So we're perceiving it a little bit different. But then when I hear moms talk about that, I can understand that and relate to that, that you are expected to balance both of those things. And, you know, women, I just feel they're more of like the caretakers. I think that's probably the difference between men and women. They take care of other people. They will speak up for other people. This was something I actually read recently. It was very interesting. When it comes to negotiating, women will go to bat for other people before they will go to bat for themselves. They will put the other people first and not put themselves out there to like better themselves. And like, that is very interesting. And I think that's just that innate characteristic that we have that you want to be that nurturer and you want to help other people. And so you're putting yourself, you know, as a lesser priority um, in those situations. So those are just a few of my thoughts. This is a topic, ladies, I could talk about for a really long time because I'm like, I'm more like a man, bring it. So <laughs> 
when you when you said about how how men will have such confidence about them, it just made me flash back to all the times I've been in like board meetings or something with you know the director of revenue cycle, and it's a man, and he's there in his suit and his tie and his fancy shoes and his feet like propped up on another chair, and will just say things that are just obviously blatantly wrong but says them with such strong confidence that he's like convincing other people that they're right and i'm like i'm not quite sure about that (laughs) yeah isn't it amazing that sometimes the most incompetent people are the most confident for some reason like i've seen that (laughs) happen where they just have this confidence about them i have worked with men that are like that where there's they're all fluff and there's no substance i've seen it and it's very infuriating to watch that because and then if you get the boys club at the c level then that's the other challenge that those men are able to play up to that in in that culture and so they're getting the attention they're getting the raises and then the women are not because it's that boys club at the executive level now that was years i'm talking like 20 years ago now it's different it's very diverse we have many more women you know, in executive positions. And I feel that our profession is unique and that we're female dominated. You know, the Mm -hmm. men are the minority in our profession. So I feel that our profession, we get paid very well in our profession, even though we are high percentage of females. So many people that I know that work in our profession, the wives make more than their husbands by far. Um, You know, in health information management, medical coding, they're like the breadwinner. So I think we have pretty good salaries within our profession. However, men are the minority, like I said, in our profession. Men can really advance quickly in our profession because they are the minority. And you will see men get into directorship positions very quickly, those executive levels in our profession very quickly because there are so few. And so I'm like, okay, well, if we all want to talk about diversity, then... You kind of are putting those people and you're making it diverse by putting the white males in that nobody wants to talk of, you know, in society. They say the white males kind of like own everything. And I'm like, well, over here, I'm like, they come into the female profession and they still have the advantage over here because we want to add more men. to the, And I enjoy having more men in the profession. I do. Um, you know, I've gone on record before and said I prefer working with men over women. I'm sorry if that upsets people that are listening, but I find maybe because with business, I conduct myself more like a guy and there's that related, like I can be around guys and I don't get offended and I don't get bothered and maybe that's it. But I just seem to have, not that I don't have good working relationships with women, I do, but it was so nice to be able to work with men on occasion because we're just dealing with females all the time. All the hormones and the drama. <laughs> There's definitely a lot of that. And women can be very petty about things where, you know what I love about men? Men can like go at it and beat the crap out of each other in the parking lot and then go sit down and have a beer together. Beer. Do you think, do you think <laughs> two women are ever going to do that? No, this is not going to happen. <laughs> it's not that easy to like duke it out and then go sit and have a drink together. It's a little bit more involved in that. <laughs> mm. So what are you, so let's talk about, we've talked about, you know, some of the reasons why we think there's differences in negotiating. So Tony, what would, what advice would you give? What are your top tips for, for a woman who is trying to negotiate a salary for a new position? How would you advise them? 
Yes. Um, so one of the people that I draw inspiration from is, I'm sure everybody's watched Shark Tank, um, Barbara Corcoran. So Barbara has this YouTube video, <laughs> just Google it, you'll find it, where she talks about her top negotiation tips for women. And the um, best point that she gave was go into the nego negotiation and think like a man like basically emulate a man, which is what Stacy has said, which I've kind of alluded to, Victoria's alluded to, take the emotion out of it. You are worth everything um, and then some, and you've got to believe it because if you don't believe it, the person that you're up against is going to pick up on that. And um, men are um, less, I would say, aware of that type of thing than women. So like if you are negotiating against a woman, you've got to kind of play to those dynamics. When you're negotiating with a man, same thing. You've got to think about the gender dynamics and and just be cognizant of that. Um, take the emotion out of it. If, if you are um, already doing the work, if you are already, if you've already demonstrated your value, you've proven that you're an asset to the organization, then you need to sell yourself with data points. And don't come into the negotiation with, oh, well, inflation, oh, well, cost of living, oh, well, I've got all of these extra expenses. Like that's not the type of stuff you need to be talking about. It's um, what are the tangible um, things that you've impacted the company with? Uh, like, have you closed deals? Have you mentored? employees? Have you um, have you brought on new clients? Have you upsold? Have you cross-sold? Like, it's going to look very different for everybody. Have you met a certain percentage of accuracy? These are the talking points that you've got to have at your disposal when you're having this meeting. This is your one and only shot to really make your case. Um, I was actually um, listening to a um talk recently it was sarah reagan it's funny sarah reagan was just in our episode <laughs> last week hey sarah coming <laughs> star you're, you're our um our our special guest though that we obviously need to have on because we keep bringing you up but um you're just a rock star so sarah was talking about this in a um chapter meeting she spoke for the orlando florida apc chapter and she said she has this document and every time she would um, have some type of an accomplishment or meet a goal, she would just jot it into that document. And she would do that on an ongoing basis so that she didn't have to rely on her memory to be able to come up with these data points when you're really, um, you know, negotiating and, and you want to get a higher salary or maybe you're looking to make a lateral move. So you need to have those talking points ready to go. And they need to be substantive and they need to be um, things that you can articulate very quickly as far as what your value add was in, in that instance. Um, think about your position. So know what's on the table, know what's off the table. So if you're just coming into the industry, you're not going to make a ton of money coming out of the gate. You've got to be okay with that. Um, know what's on the table. So. Um, I remember back when I was in corporate, the um, last job that I had, I was I was on the road all the time. I was senior consultant, I was a director, and so I was just like constantly on the road in a plane. I was going here, there, and everywhere. And I remember I was up for negotiation on, or I was up for a, a raise, and I was negotiating 
um, a new compensation package. And I said to my boss, I said, you know, three weeks of vacation is not enough. I need four. And, um, and, and she kind of looked at me funny, like, where did you get that idea? And, and I said, I need four weeks because I'm literally out on the road all day, every day. And the time that I'm away from my family, the time that I'm on the road, I'm not getting compensated for that time. I'm, I'm paid a salary rate. So if you do the math, if I go to Chicago for, you know, Monday to Thursday, all of that time, I'm away from my family. I'm away from my bed. I'm away from my life. Like I need some type of, you know, it's, it's a give and take. I need some type of balance. And so it was this whole back and forth because um, the person most senior in the company wasn't getting that amount of vacation. And so they were worried that the other person was going to get mad because they might see it. So ended up getting the four weeks of PTO, negotiated it. But if I hadn't have done that, yes, now I have unlimited PTO. <laughs> um, I work for myself. But this is, you know, back in the day where, you know, I had to ask for permission to, to take time off. What what a, a change in life. Um, so, yeah, it's it's those things. You've got to know what's on the table, what's off the table. Um, you also need to have a bit of emotional intelligence when you're going into these negotiations. You've got to think um, on your feet. You've got to be able to take the temperature of the person that you're negotiating with. Or if you're in a room, you've got to be able to assess what's going on. Is it going well? Is it going bad? Um, what's the temperature of the room? Because that's going to help inform your next decision, how you um, approach the rest of the meeting. So EQ is invaluable when you are negotiating. Um, the last tip I would say, and, and this just kind of piggybacks on what Stacy said, have a, as a female, have a communal focus because society views women as caretakers. And you can actually use that to your advantage. So you can say, um, you know, instead of I want more money because I am the best. You can say, I want to take this company to the next level. I want to increase sales by 10x. I want to do these things and, and I'm going to get those things done, but I need to be compensated for that. So you've really got to approach it with more of a we and what can I you know, do for the company or for the organization. Or as a business owner, what, what I like to do is, is um, you know, I'm here to solve problems. I'm here to partner with businesses to help them, um, you know, get more juice out of the squeeze. I'm here to um, help them not only stay compliant, but keep the money that they work so hard to obtain. So it's really focusing more on the uh, value proposition and what you can bring to the table. Um, but more so in that in that focus, because I think when women come out of the gate with, I deserve this and I need this and I demand this. It, it just, it's not a good look, even though men can do it and get away with it. It's just not a good look. So you've got to kind of, you know, be cognizant of that. And those are just some of my tips. Yeah. I can echo what Tony was saying in that I feel, well, first of all, you have to know your worth and you have to be able to demonstrate your worth. I think that is the most important thing. And early on in my career, I did make some mistakes in negotiating my entry salary in positions. But once I would get into a job, I would prove myself. I would go above and beyond. I would always go the extra mile. If something new came up, I would take that on my plate. And even though right away, you're not getting paid more money for it, I was able to at different times and different jobs say, 
well, now I'm doing these other additional duties and I feel that I should be compensated for them. And fortunately, I had positive experiences. I don't share Victoria's experience where they're like, well, we just won't have you do them anymore. My experiences are all positive. Any time in any job that I went to the powers that be and said, I need a salary adjustment. We're not talking at raise time. We're talking in between annual evaluation and raises and made my case. I never once was ever turned down for a salary increase. So it's knowing your worth, showing your worth, and then don't be afraid to ask. I think a lot of people are afraid to ask that they don't want to rock the boat um, in those situations. And I think that, you know, that's one of the issues that the ask isn't there. The worst someone can tell you is no. In Victoria's case, they reduced her workload. So, hey, that worked there too, right? Because <laughs> she wasn't going to get paid for it. If you want to look at it on the, um, the flip side there, but the worst that they can say is no. So years ago, this was kind of funny. So friends would come to me and they would ask advice about negotiating because I had done very well when I was changing jobs and negotiating starting pay and within jobs, negotiating more, you know, once I came on board. And so I kind of got that reputation of being able to advise people on that. So one person came to me um, who works in the profession and she's a more conservative buttoned up person. And she's like, okay, she's like, I hear you're really good at negotiating. She's like, what is your advice to me? And I looked her in the eye and I said, strap on your balls and negotiate like a phone. turned like all shades of red when I said that. And I go, that is the most simplistic way to put it is I said, you just need to act like a man, like seriously. Yeah. And I said, once I adopted those personality traits, I mean, I always had a strong personality. So maybe it was easier for me because I had that stronger personality. I'm like, but once I looked at it like a man and approached it like a man, then it was like much better. And again, it's that confidence that guys tend to bring that women tend to lack, I think. And once you master that, you know, that can go a long way. And then I would always ask for at least 10 to $15,000 more per year than what I was willing to settle for. I was sometimes it would go as high as 20 more than what I was willing to settle for. So they're like, wow, this person thinks they're worth this much. And now you have a negotiating point because you know what you're really looking for and like what's reasonable. And again, the worst they can say is, well, we can't quite pay you that, you know, we were more here. Are you okay with that? that number they give you could still be higher than lower what you knew in your head, what you would take. So you want to throw something out to make it seem like you're giving something. And there's got to be in any good negotiation, each person has to feel like they won, like in the best of negotiations where somebody, you know, there was give and take and they kind of met in the middle. So by shoot, but again, like Tony says, it's reading the room and that emotional intelligence. If you're in an interview and it's not going really well and you're not vibing, then I wouldn't advise doing that because they're going to be like, yeah, goodbye. See you later. But if you have the feeling they're really into you and you're getting all those positive signs and it's a good interview, and then you put out that ask, you just have to know how to read people in that situation. And that's what I would do. I would show up in interviews where they advertise one position and then I get in the room and they talk to me and they're like, Oh, wow you have all these additional skills. You can do all these other things for us. So let's talk about this, this, and this. In a situation like that, you now have the upper hand in negotiating if they want you to do more. And, you know, sometimes push back, push the envelope. I remember one job um, was ending because the company shut down and we were like all going to be laid off. And I was looking for another job and I was struggling to find something that I wanted to do. And a software company had approached me. I don't even know how they found out about me. 
but they're like, we want you to come on board and work for us. And I interviewed and they loved me. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but your salary like, isn't like enough. And, and they're like, well, you know, coming in, you know, new employee, we have people who've been working here already doing this. They don't make that much. They're like the top of our pay range. This is many, many years ago. They're like our top, top pay. We max out at $65,000 a year. And they're like, other people aren't making that. And I said, well, you need to pay me that if you want me. I go, I'm sorry about you know, what's going on with the other people, but it doesn't make sense. And it was also a job with travel, you know, three weeks out of the, the month. And so I'm like, again, with the travel, you, you know, there needs, and I'm like, I'm looking at what I'm making now. And then I'm looking, and I was already underpaid because of company circumstances. Everybody, there were several people in that situation um, and the company closed, but I'm like, no, I want this. And they gave me, they brought me in at the max of that pay scale. They did. They needed to fill the position and they wanted me. And so they started me there. So it's possible to come in at the higher end and don't let anybody think, you know, but it also goes back to supply and demand as well. There's also the other factor. Um, and again, that's going to go into to reading the room. So to sum that up, strap on your balls and act like a man. There you go. That's my piece of advice. If you want to walk away with something today from Stacey. <laughs> Victoria, what are your thoughts? What are your best tips for negotiating? Oh my gosh. So first I have to tell you, I love, I was so proud when Tony was like, I got that extra week of vacation because I once tried that. I was switching jobs because um, I wanted to step down. I was in a, a position that it was just way too much stress. I was starting to just absolutely break down um, and stepped down into a position at another company um, and was taking a slight paid a slight decrease in pay, which was understandable. It wasn't as high intensity of a position. Um, but I tried, they're like, oh, well, we can't, this is what we're going to pay you. And I said, well, you know, I am taking a pay cut. Like I have done this and this and this and this and this, is it possible that you could just give me a few extra days of vacation? And they're like, yeah, we don't do that. <laughs> like, we can't do that. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, like it was very almost like they didn't have access to do it or something like the way it came across. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, but it actually wound up working out. Uh, pretty well because it was shortly thereafter that I got kind of brought into another department and they had to level out the pay and I wound up getting a pay increase and was making just a little bit more than the position that I had left. So that's one of my big top tips is switch jobs often. Um, you know, you, you don't get as good of an increase from those annuals sometimes as you will from switching from one position to another or from one company to another. It used to be a very taboo thing when I had my first job in the industry. I thought that because my baby boomer parents who had been in their job since, you know, the day they graduated high school practically uh, and stayed with that company for forever, I thought that was like the norm. Like I would find a company and I would stay with them forever. So I was like holding on to this position where I was not going where I needed to go because I thought, oh, well, I need to have company loyalty. I need to stay here because this is, you know, my company and they're going to grow me. And then I wasn't moving and I wasn't moving and I wasn't moving. And I'm like, I got to go. Like, um, I'm not like I'm bored here. I'm not doing anything. I'm not learning. I'm not growing. I, you won't move me into other positions. And it was always just this weird circumstance of, oh, well, we took that position down or, oh, this manager decided that they want to step down. So we gave them that position, but we were going to consider you. So it was just these weird circumstances. And I'm like, you know what? Uh, time to go. 
we don't we don't stay in positions that long anymore. Seeing your job switching every couple of years isn't the the black spot on your resume that it used to be. Um, more people are used to seeing people that they stay with a company for two, three years, and then they switch on to something else. I think where it becomes difficult sometimes is, you know, in our industry, it's hard oftentimes to get that first job. So we tend to take something that might not be a good fit. And sometimes we'll have to hold on to it for a little while, maybe that first year till we can get that one year experience. And then we can go on to the next job where it says, oh, well, you have to have at least one year experience for. So that's, that's one of my biggest tips is to switch jobs often, especially if you're getting bored. Like if there's not something where they are able to build you up. Some organizations have such great career ladders. They're like, yep, here's our entry level position. And then when you get really good at that, you can move up to an intermediate and then we have advanced and then you can get into management. And, you know, not everyone has that good structure. Some places like that, there's nowhere to go. You hit that, that glass ceiling and you can't shatter it. There's, there's no movement. So if you're not going to get a pay increase or get work that is more meaningful and interesting to you, um, then it's time to, to move on. And you always have yeah. to be careful though about not burning bridges on the way out. I always say I don't burn bridges, but I tend to just kind of over the time forget about people and just lose touch with all the people that, you know, on your last day of work, you're like, oh, I'm definitely going to keep in touch with you. You have my number. I'll call you. And then you like never speak to them again in your entire life. So um, I'm bad with that. The other thing I would say is to watch out for the glaring red flags. Sometimes you have just that nagging feeling that something's not right and you need to lead into that. I had uh, a couple of years ago, someone who wanted me to come in and do webinars or guest speaking or guest faculty things for an international organization. And he's like, well, these people in this country, they don't make a lot. So we're not going to be able to pay you a lot. And I'm kind of like, okay, I'll maybe do it this one time at a reduced rate. Um, and then he started sending over contracts to me that had non-compete clauses in it. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's it. Um, and he's like, no, you can take it. I'm like, no, the fact that you even sent me something like this we're done. We're not, we're not, we're not playing this game anymore. Um, <laughs> this is just not feeling right to me. And I'm just going to step back uh, before we get too much further. So those, I think, are my top to switch jobs often. And sometimes you have to play into your instincts. And if something's not feeling right to you, it's better to step away than to put yourself in a position where it's harder to back out when you've got your, your feet already in to the situation. Yeah, that could actually be a separate episode talking about contracts and contract negotiations. That's a whole different animal um, to deal with there. And I echo Victoria's advice, you know, switching jobs. Unfortunately, you have to make the switch to get the big pay increases. You know, there were lots of times when I would give notice at jobs and they'd say, oh, well, we want to keep you. And they would like offer me more money. And there's only one time that I stayed somewhere um, you know, and didn't accept, you know, the offer that I had from the other company because it wasn't an ideal situation. It was a step up, but it was a really long commute and there were other things associated with it. And I'm like, oh, let me stay where I'm at and make a little bit more money and kind of find something that's a better 
fit. So in that case, but I, on the flip side, when people say, and I've seen a lot of people say this and I agree with it, you know, I looked at it differently back then. Now I totally agree with this. If they have been underpaying you all that time and now on the way out the door, they're wanting to offer you more. Is it somewhere you really want to stay when they could have been paying you more? But on the other side, did you ever ask for more? That's the other thing. Like I said, I would always go back and ask for more. And when I worked for a company where all pay increases were frozen, nobody was even getting annual increases. I got a big salary adjustment and a big bump in pay when people weren't even getting annual raises. And those annual raises run about 3% industry, 3-4%. You're not going to, you know, get up there anytime, you know, quickly if you're relying on that 3 or 4% a year because people don't do most people don't do cost of living raises. It's simply merit increase with no cost of living. And if you're going to factor in cost of living, merit increases never cover the cost of living increase, especially Tony and I are in Florida and the cost of living in Florida has gotten crazy. We're still a really great state. We don't have state income tax, but oh my goodness, like in recent years, especially um, how much more expensive it is here. So Tony, share your final thoughts. We'll let you wrap up. Yeah. I mean, I think you guys have all um, said some great tips and and it's just really critical to know your position and what you're coming into. Don't sell yourself short. Um, I I don't know if, if I've talked about this before, but I actually used to play professional poker. I don't think I've mentioned this on the podcast yet. Um, so I used to play professional poker. This was a long time ago. And one of the things that that I would always do when I was trying to figure out, okay, should I go all in? Should I play on tilt? Is are you pot committed? And and to um, Stacy's point and to Victoria's point, it's like if you're already you know like so far in that it's really difficult to get out. Like you've got to be aware of that. Um, I've I've so are you pot committed? Are you so far in that you know there's not a really good way out? Do you need to make a lateral move? Um, is this something where you need to run for the hills? And a lot of times if you have that in instinct, it probably is the case. Um, as an expert witness, I actually do a lot of work where people in um, these practices and organizations are aiding and abetting fraud and they don't even realize that they're doing that. So if you are in a situation where you're just staying at a job because you need a job, but you're also maybe you know, helping a provider do something that they're not supposed to know that you are not safe um, from liability. There is, um, you know, the False Claims Act and all of these other um, acts that don't just apply to physicians. They can also apply to folks that work in in the office. So um, just keep that in mind. You know, it's 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 a it's a dirty world out there and there's lots of people that will take advantage of you. Um, but at the same time, you also, again, you've got to, you've got to advocate for yourself. Nobody's going to do it for you. Nobody's going to tell your boss to give you a raise. You're going to have to be the one to go and advocate for yourself as a business owner. <laughs> you know, I take care of the people that work for me very, very much. I take care of my employees because I know that if I don't take care of them, they will go elsewhere. So I 
preemptively give my employees raises. I don't wait for them to come to me and say, hey, it's time. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about them all the time and, and what I can do to push them forward because that is so critical in this economy and trying to keep good talent. So if you are somebody that is, you know, worth your weight in gold to an organization, you go and tell them and, and demand your price because that's what negotiations are for. So those are my final thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. So because you touched on this in your commentary, I'm going to do a shameless plug for my own podcast. So some of you out there probably already know about my podcast, but I have a podcast podcast called Who Cares What Stacy Says? So if you enjoy listening to me here, I have my own podcast. I had Eric Rubenstein, a former OIG agent um, who works with Advise now on my latest podcast episode. And we talked about as a coder, when you find yourself in those situations, the potential fraud, waste and abuse, how the coder should handle those situations, how you should cover yourself, do documentation appropriately, whether you quit the job, whether you're asked to leave the job. So Eric is always, Tony, I know you know Eric personally, he is just like a wealth of information and is so fascinating to speak to. And I think coders who have found them, may, who may find themselves in that position now, may find his advice helpful on how to move forward. And I'll just say that key TAMs are not a get rich quick scheme. So get that idea out of your head. That's the one preview. <laughs> no, they are not. Eric is amazing. I love Eric. Um, I love Jean Marie. They're amazing. They do such great work and advise. So yeah, check out the episode. It's, it's really impactful, especially if you're in one of those weird situations. Definitely. Definitely. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of Coding Consultant Confessions. Hopefully you have picked up some helpful tips to help you in negotiations, not only in your next job, but also in your current job. And join us again in two weeks for another confession. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for tuning in to Coding Consultant Confessions with Tony Elhomes, Stacey Buck, and Victoria Mole. Unfiltered, unedited, unapologetic. Connect with the Coding Consultant Confessions podcast on YouTube, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Simply search for Coding Consultant Confessions on any of these platforms to connect and engage with Tony, Stacy, and Victoria.